Well, hello there and off the July 4th extended holiday weekend and into this week. It is the latest edition of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Good to be back with you. I am merely the somewhat competent host, TJ Reeves. I have enlisted some help from one of my buds here in a few moments to go over the news of the weekend, including the blockbuster, earth-shaking stuff that is still going on figuratively off the ESPN personnel decisions, the firings and the non-contract renewals that they have had at the end of last week and into this weekend that we've been learning about. We're going to talk about that. Uh, other subjects, including an, an amazing look at the rivalry of Martina Navratilova and Chris Everett from Sally Jenkins, an award-winning big-time uh, writer and author from the Washington Post who wrote the article. And it's appropriate because Wimbledon uh, is underway, one of the top tennis tournaments every year, one of the most prestigious tennis tournaments, one of the most prestigious events in sports. It's underway. And Martina Navratilova and Chris Everett are synonymous with this. So we're going to talk about that article. Some golf will make its way in and maybe a little bit more here in just a few moments. First of all, thank you for finding this podcast feed. Make sure you're following or subscribing, not just for me, but for George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. George is based in Chicago. Long-form storytelling podcast with a Chicago slant. Great two-part series he just did with Dan Bernstein, longtime Chicago sports radio personality for 30 years. Uh, he has been intertwined with Chicago sports media. Uh, and again, uh, George does a fantastic job of interviewing different personalities and media members, sometimes local, regional in Chicago, but a lot of times national that have some kind of a tie, whether it's Mike Greenberg, Greeny of ESPN, but even the likes of Kevin Harlan, uh, Michael Wilbon, uh, on and on down the list, Kenny Albert and others that tie back to Chicago somehow, some way. So George is on this podcast feed early in the week with Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Then Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen come your way with the Announcer Schedules podcast. They do a great job of breaking down who calls it well uh, on the national level TV and radio. They often get great guests. George Sedano of ESPN, a recent guest of theirs. That's on this podcast feed as well. Uh, back a couple of episodes ago here, Mike and Phil, every week, later in the week, all through the summer here with Announcer Schedules, the podcast uh, off the Announcer Schedules Twitter handle. That's such a great resource as part uh, of the media and the media coverage. Uh, and again, it's all part of the Last Word on Sports media podcast feed. Make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribing wherever you get your podcast. With that out of the way, let me say hello to my wingman, uh, from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where it is equally as hot here in the summertime and July 4th weekend. Hello, Famous Jay. The Famous Jay on social media is Jay Betzel in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Jay does a fantastic job freelance writing uh, all over DFW and has for years. He and I have been uh, commiserating and talking uh, off podcasts and on podcasts for the better part of over a decade, you and I have. And you still return my text message and my call, and I love that about you, my friend. Hopefully, 4th of July was good. We're both trying to stay cool at this point in time. How are you feeling big time? I am doing well. Thank you for having me on. And I was kind of thinking about it earlier. It only makes sense we're doing this on a holiday since we started our, our interviews on Thanksgiving from the Cowboy Games. And oftentimes he's talking about I would work nationally on Fox Sports Radio in and around holiday weeks, holiday weekends, holidays themselves. And I would frequently get the famous Jay on on the airwaves there. That kind of uh, started off our relationship. And we've now done a bunch of different podcast ventures and different things that are going on. And I love talking media with you because you uh, you obviously have been intertwined in and around the Dallas Fort Worth media. But you and I equally keep up with things that are going on television a broadcast with the sports media. So you're perfect to hone in on. 
So let's begin with this, because we're now uh, a few days after, and I am still shaking my head at some of the moves that ESPN made. We knew this was coming, Jay. I just don't think that for most of us that pay attention to this, and obviously on a podcast like this, we're talking about it, that we didn't realize to the extent the number of on-air personalities and the humongous names. So I tee you up right away. Uh, give me a shocking name and more that's more than maybe, maybe for you, it's more than one shocking name that was on that list. As we began to find out Friday and Saturday in particular Friday, but a lot of it came out also uh, overnight Friday and into Saturday that these people aren't going to be part of ESPN's coverage of their respective sport or sports uh, any longer. So you go first here on, and it can be maybe more than one, but shocking name or maybe more than one shocking name off that ESPN firing and non-renewal list. Well, let me say this. I was following Andrew Marchand on Twitter, similar to Woj during the NBA free agency, because it seemed like every few minutes there was another, another name, another name. And I don't pretend to know these people personally. I've met a handful of them, but these are like people losing their jobs. So I was feeling bad every time I got one, I was feeling worse. And the first one I saw was one of the really shockers. who was one of the very, very best at what he does was Jeff Van Gundy, the like one of the lead analysts on the NBA Finals for, I believe, the last 17 years. He works with Mike Breen, who's a Hall of Famer, and Mark Jackson, who sometimes we kind of wonder what, what he's talking about during the games, and Jeff Van Gundy kind of brings him back in. And I, I was really surprised on that one. I, I really thought Keyshawn Johnson, I think he does a good job. I mean, I know they're, the national radio show they had in the morning with Max Kellerman and Jay Williams was already getting canceled. But I thought with Keyshawn Johnson being in like the first year of a five-year, $18 million deal that he might kind of get around that. And But all, all that being said, probably the biggest shocker to me was David Pollock because college football is so important to ESPN with college football playoff, college game day being – so huge and just on a personal level i was fortunate enough doing stuff for the star telegram back when the first college football playoff champion national championship was here at att stadium in arlington and espn had their setup in sundance square in downtown fort worth the awesome espn pr people josh krulowitz they they set me up and let me talk to all these people and i had like 10 minutes with jesse palmer I had a few minutes with tim tebow we even walked into a nearby taco diner and watched him you know, do his thing where he's being nice to little kids. And um, who else was there? I mean, several others were there. But uh, like I said, 10 minutes basically with each of them. And the last one I had was David Pollock. And I ended up having 45 minutes with him. He was such wow. a great interview. I mean, he, we, I mean, it felt like you and I talking. And I mean, everything uh, if I can we talked about. Uh, if but, I interrupt, I was going to be there with you, and I did end right. up coming there with you for the first college football playoff. And I still remember, because this is now nine years ago, you called me and said, David Pollock is amazing. I can't, I don't have enough space and enough internet space and column space to write everything I want to write. You were that blown away with him nine years ago when he had basically just kind of first started after his playing career and he had migrated to ESPN into game day, maybe a couple years earlier, maybe three, four years earlier, but he was really well known. And I I still vividly remember you calling me about that interview. So continue. I didn't mean to sidetrack you. Well, no, no, you're good. But you know, like part of what he was talking about was how, you know, he had played at Georgia and he played in the NFL with uh Cincinnati and injured his neck. So it was kind of like, you know, I remember talking to him, how'd you get into broadcasting? And he just kind of talked about doing a few things here and there and um and how he talked to his agent, you know, hey, can you give me a couple trials and stuff? 
and he you know he was so good at it that they they put him on game day and he was he was really good he was kind of different because you know Desmond Howard was a Heisman Trophy winner and some of the people that have been on there were guys that like you know every single sports fan knew but David Pollock was someone like football fans knew right and and he was real specific about how he felt like kind of God had a plan and there was a reason that this had happened you know and then when he posted his video on Twitter the other day after all this happened you know his first thing like his headline was hey anything happened today you know kind of <laughs> he, he was he kind of played it off and he said you know that he everyone had heard the news that he wasn't going to be brought back and you could tell that you know I, I mean I just my guess was he was kind of emotional about it but he also said that so many other things have come from his time on game day whether it's speaking or coaching you know and he, he thinks that this is all part of the bigger plan and I mean I feel from a viewer standpoint just take out the the human part from a viewer standpoint I feel like they weakened their show because I thought he was really good and my last memory of him on ESPN is going to be him at the national championship when Georgia destroyed my little horn frogs I know and he said that Georgia is the class of football now with Nick Saban sitting there next to him and just glaring at him and that's gonna be like my last memory of him on ESPN and I really hope that he's picked up by Fox because you know they have their um their version of college game day like big Fox thing. you know they go to the noon games and I really hope that he's on one of those type of shows because I think from a football fan standpoint he brings a lot to broadcast uh, there's no doubt, and all of that is well said. Thank you for that insight, and Pollock is a phenomenal guy off the mic, and people should know that, and we're going to get into this more with some of the other situations uh, that went on. One of the counterbalances, too, is he's an SEC star, and they had just started the SEC network at the time you were interviewing him. That's become a Goliath, and now ESPN has become the exclusive home of the Southeastern Conference. After this season, they will own all of the, uh, essentially the broadcast inventory, all of everything for the SEC. So that was uh, shocking uh, to say the least that he's one of the better known names. But now, now we morph this into, I'm in agreement with, with you on Van Gundy. I mean, what this what this told you when I, you called me, by the way, we were talking Friday morning and you said, Je I wasn't home yet because I had been out Friday morning and you said Jeff Van Gundy is part of the ESPN firings. And I, I, I didn't know what to say back to you for like a second. I'm like, my God, they fired him right after the NBA finals. And then I, I wanted, I said to you, I said, clarify if you can find out before I get home. Cause I don't, I can't look at it right now while I'm driving. Was he at the end of his deal or did Van Gundy have time left on his deal? And he had time left on his deal. They are firing him with time, with years, apparently multiple years, still left on his deal, which to me, that's that's the most shocking one because that is, besides their NFL coverage, which they go nonstop about, that's their number one play-by-play -play property. That is what let they're me, the most invested in. Let me flip yeah. the script. Let me ask you this on the NFL. Susie Colburn, Steve Young, half of their Monday night football, which I think is where they spent most of their money. They let both of them right. go. How's that going to work? I know. I know. But in, in terms of Van Gundy, he's the lead analyst on the most important play-by-play -play that they certainly have outside of football. And it's the championship. They don't, they don't get they're gonna get they're gonna get the Super Bowl in the future. Uh they have the college football playoff championship, although that's now about to be split up. But that was just that said to me, it can happen to any of them. And Susie Colber had been there for 27 straight years. She had gone to Fox briefly. She was there at the beginnings of, of ESPN2. She left in the mid-90s and went to Fox for a few years and did the National Hockey League, among other things, uh, studio. A lot of people don't remember that while we talk sports media here. 
But she had been back on a 27-year run, had been in that Monday night countdown role for like seven or eight years. After the death of Stuart Scott, she became the permanent host. And what this continually said Friday into Saturday is it did not matter. It did not matter how long you've been there. It did not matter white, black, male, female, Asian, cross-section of all of it. Longevity didn't matter. Award-winning money. You mentioned Keyshawn Johnson is owed four more years and in excess of $10 million, $12 million probably doesn't matter. Um, so th- it was shocker after shocker with those different names um, and and what it represented. One, one last one I want to throw in. Yeah. Todd McShay, the NFL draft is another thing they spend a fortune on and and if, he's half of the Mel Kuyper time. That's McShay. right. And if I had said to you five years ago, and I know McShay has had health problems in the last couple of years, and I don't know how much this is a part of it, um, and, and I don't know how much money he was making. It's not been put out there. But again, the money and how much you're making. Jeff Van Gundy was probably making close to 8 to $10 million a year, and it did not matter to ESPN to go ahead and delete him. But – um. Back to McShay, if I had said to you, Jay Betzel, five years ago, it's 2018, who's the heir apparent to Mel Kuyper? Who will eventually be the guy for ESPN's NFL draft coverage? What would the automatic answer from you have been? Because I know my automatic answer. Yeah, they built up Todd McShay. That's Todd part of the ESPN machine. And yet that's who they're deleting in this. And again, there may be other factors with him. It may be health as part of it. But clearly, it did not matter. Ashley Brewer is a name that I keep bringing up. Blonde, female. uh, Getting married. She's getting married this week. She has time left on her deal. She apparently had more than this calendar year left on her deal. Did not matter. You're a name and a salary on a byline somewhere, and they were just deleting left and right. So it was shocking. And I know I want to bring this back. They, they did this before, not to this extent with all the biggest names that we were seeing, like Max Kellerman as part of it, uh, on and on down the list of, of all the LaFonso different LaFonso Ellis off the college basketball. Gene Wojciechowski has now announced that he was part of it. He's been a writer for ESPN and a contributor. That's another surprise because he's a big part of college game day also. 30 years, right at 30 years of doing this with ESPN, believe it or not, since the mid-90s off of Sports Illustrated and ESPN, or at least 25 years. Didn't matter. Um, but you you also have insight. They did this six years ago in 2017, and they purged a bunch of writers and some on-air personalities. And a guy that you're in Dallas-Fort Worth that you're around is Mark Stein. It was a big-time NBA writer, TV personality, insider for them. Kind of Woj before Woj came in and around. And Stein, you've still been around. It was eye-opening when they got rid of him six years ago. And I know you're around him to this day, just real quick to relate it. Yeah, yeah, I used to go to pretty much every Maverick game when I was actually doing Mavericks coverage. You know, now if if I go to a game now, it's for a feature or something. And I, I in fact, did only up to one game all of last year because I'm still trying to be professional. And I feel like if I don't have an assignment, I'm not going to go, right? That's just the way I was treated right, and trained. Right. So, but when I first started, I had no clue what I was doing. I was just kind of walking around wide-eyed going, this is so cool that I'm getting to do this. And the Texas Legends, which is the uh, G League team of the Mavericks, they started, they're up in Frisco, where here in DFW, Frisco is in the northeast side. It's where the Cowboys headquarters is, the Star, Toyota Stadium, FC Dallas, Dallas Stars headquarters, on, on the PGA of America headquarters, 
We just had the senior PGA. It's up there in Frisco. And the Texas Legends, they're also in Frisco. They play at the same arena where the Stars headquarters are. And I bring that up because I went to the first game, and Antonio Daniels, of all people, who was in the NBA, was on that team. And they won the first game by, like, 30. I mean, they were, like, the greatest G League team ever that night. And Mark Stein was there. And I introduced myself, and I told him, I was like, hey, I mentioned you in one of my stories that I was a Sid Maverick game. You know, and at this time, he was super big time. He was on ESPN TV. He would come on. We had a local ESPN radio affiliate here, 103.3. He would come on there all the time. And he was the essentially, like Woj is, he was that way back then for the Mavericks and everything else. Like, if you heard him say it, you knew he was right, and you knew he was usually first. And the fact that someone of his, you know, stature, not only he was cool enough to talk to me, but he followed me back on Twitter. He and I, we chat about Rocky Four every now and then, you know, same <laughs> way with you and I with some of our movies. Right. And, I mean, just could not be a cooler guy. And, in fact, just a little subtle plug, we, he and I are not – we know each other, but we certainly don't speak. We're not friends and stuff, but we're friendly. He has a new radio show here in DFW on 97.1 The Freak that actually uh, premiered this past weekend to kind of co- uh, with NBA Free Agency, right? And it's on um, iHeart app. So if people that are Mark Stein fans, if they will listen. It's on the iHeart app. And he could not be a cooler guy. To, you know, like and I said, same still... as David Pollock. No reason. I, I There was no reason for him to be as cool to me as he was. And I've seen him all the years the Maverick games. He speaks. He's friendly. And just I say that because there's so many others who are not. And, sure. you know, they, their heads are real big. But by the way, you're not going to you're not gonna name Warner, names. Remember? You're, you're... You're too good of a guy to not name names, but I mean, he. I remember Ed Werder was part of that last when he's another right. DFW Dallas, guy, and he's actually everything. back with ESPN. They brought him back to an extent, yeah. but yeah. in Stein's case, he was a big information guy. And here's the bottom line on a couple of more points on this, and then we're going to move on to other things, including the Kristen Martina piece by Sally Jenkins and Wimbledon starting and their relationship, and it ties back to broadcasting as well. But when they walked Chris Berman out of the building, ESPN was basically. Uh, launched into the stratosphere, as I like to say about it, by Chris Berman and Dick Vitale in the 1980s. I know that the Gen Zers, the millennials, that think that ESPN started in like 2003, when ESPN was rolling in the 1980s, there were two main huge personalities. Berman doing the highlights on SportsCenter and Dick Vitale, baby, doing the basketball. You knew them above everybody else before they legitimized and started showing the NFL games late in the 80s, before they got the Major League Baseball contract in the 90s to show that, it was Chris Berman on the high. So Chris Berman won Emmy Awards. Chris Berman made ESPN, not by himself, but as much as any one individual, he made it into an empire to watch SportsCenter. Berman. Uh, And then became synonymous with the NFL coverage, with the game day show that was the equivalent of the NFL Today on CBS and the NFL primetime highlights. You and I are big fans of that going back into the eighties and the nineties with he and Tom Jackson and the late Pete Axtell. Don't forget he it. let Bill Pito do like the games that nobody cared <laughs> right. about. Bill and Stuart Scott and <laughs> all, and Gail Gardner was on it for many, many, the first couple of years, many, many of those episodes, but he was synonymous with ESPN. He is the rock star of ESPN, and they walked him out of the building when his contract was up. They eventually have brought him back in a limited role to do like the Monday Night Football stuff, but they got rid of Chris Berman. And when that happened, Dan Patrick that, and Keith Oberman and Craig oh yeah, Gilmore, but but I mean they were Ber- they were huge. But in Berman's case, he predated all of those guys for years building it. They came along a- after and helped it ascend even more. 
people don't realize Keith Olbermann was only in and around ESPN radio and ESPN proper on his first go around for like four years. Chris Berman had been there for almost 30 years when they walked him out the door. So when that happened, that tells you there's no loyalty whatsoever to anybody that you're a Danny name. Keith made me want to do this job. When I watched them as a kid, right. I'd watch them over late night with David Letterman or whatever, because to me, they were funnier. And then the show sports night on ABC, that was Aaron Sorkin's version of sports center. Sure. I mean, that that world doesn't exist anymore, I guess. No, but the other the other part of this is uh, okay. So we need to clarify a couple of things, and I, I've been through these kind of things too. So here's a couple of things to clarify. You keep hearing the word layoffs, okay, folks. These were not layoffs in the business sense. All right. So what a layoff is in the business sense is let's say you have auto workers and you have. 15,000 auto workers, but because car sales are down and your budget is taking a hit as a corporate company like Ford, like Chevy, pick one, Toyota, Nissan, whomever, you can't afford to have 15,000 of the auto workers that do the same thing, that manufacture the cars, that are all on an equal pay scale, basically collectively bargained. They're all working together. And you now need to lay off 3,000 of that workforce and make 15,000 become 12,000 because you don't have the money to pay 15,000 people anymore. That's what a layoff in business is. That's where employees who are at the same level working for the same amount of money, doing the same essential job, and a company can't afford to have that many of the employees anymore, That's they then lay off a group or a class of the same people. We can't afford them anymore. That's in the true definition. I don't have my MBA from a school, but in the truest definition of what a layoff is, that's what layoffs are. This that happened with ESPN was not layoffs. This was not ESPN going to a department and saying, we're no longer going to do Sports Center. So all of you, all of you that have been doing Sports Center as an anchor, as a director, as a camera operator, as a production assistant, all of you are now laid off together. No matter who you are, no matter how much money you make, we're no longer doing Sports Center. That's a layoff of everybody that, and again, they're not equal pay. They're not the same role. So it's a little different than my auto workers analogy, but that's a layoff. In this case, you're getting rid of certain personalities that make a lot of money and it's here and there, and other people are still going to continue to do the Sports Center job. And somebody else is going to replace Susie Colber on Monday Night Countdown. Somebody else is going to replace Jeff Van Gundy in the NBA top chair as the analyst, whoever that is. Uh, on and on down the list of, of analysts or writers, someone else is doing that job. Numerous other someones are still doing that job. They had to get rid of X amount of payroll and that's what they were doing. So the, the whole layoff versus it doesn't it doesn't mean anything except it's just kind of aggravating me that you're making it seem like you're giving Disney like a way out. They fired these people. They went to them in a lot of cases with time on their contract and said, you're fired. Now, it's a different stratosphere when you're making several million dollars a year like Van Gundy. And I know I'm kind of dominating this, Jay, but I'll get your take here in just a second. If you're making millions of dollars a year like Jeff Van Gundy or like Susie Colber or like Jalen Rose, who's on the list, or Keyshawn Johnson, who's on this list, you are different than the production people, the director of Sports Center, the director of a college football game. You're, di you're different than producers. You're different than the people that are just employees at ESPN. So maybe they were doing some of this 
to save as many of the hardworking, don't make as much as uh, employees that they have to have to keep ESPN going with all the games they do and all the production they have to do. So don't feel as bad if they have multiple years left and multiple millions in the bank and still coming to them because they'll end up somewhere else. Because a lot of these people that got laid off in the previous way, wave or, or fired or their contract not renewed earlier this year, they weren't making a million dollars. They aren't making a half million dollars. You're making a couple of hundred thousand dollars. You're making a hundred thousand dollars. You're making $75,000 and you're laid off. You're fired. You're dismissed. Your department's eliminated, whatever the term is. Uh, and then you've got to go scramble and find out where's my job so I can survive. Do you, do you follow me? Am I, am I ranting too much that, it's a different circumstance when you're picking and choosing high price talent that have put a bunch of money in the bank and still have a bunch of money coming to them. And they were choosing to fire these people. And that's what's making it, making it so shocking. So I said a lot there. Go ahead. Anything else you want to say on that? Well, real quick, it sounds like you're saying as opposed to layoff, it's more of a write-off because it sounds like, you know, this is all about the bottom line with the stock and Bob, Bob Iger returning to take over Disney. Um, one thing I mentioned to Andrew Marchand earlier from New York Post, He's been saying this, that there's no sacred cows for the, the source that told him that. And this basically proved it because they went after all these departments and so on and so forth. And and like I said, I feel bad for a lot of these people that are losing their gigs. And obviously, like you mentioned, it's not like an auto worker getting laid off and trying to figure out where they're going to pay for their next rent or their next meal. That's I mean, right. A lot of these people are, are going to be in a little different setup. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I have a question for you, the host, TJ Reeves. Keyshawn Johnson has, we'll say, four years left on his deal, right? And there's been rumors that he may be looking at uh, taking Shannon Sharp's spot on Undisputed to go against Skip Bayless, mm -hmm. but he would have to get Disney's permission and and probably lose some of that, lose out on that money. Lose if most you of were it. Him, would, yeah, if you were him, would you take the gig to stay relevant and be on Fox Sports, knowing that Richard Deitch will post that you're getting beaten by Nick at Night reruns, or would you just not work in the next four years and take the money and hang out in L.A.? That's a great question. And so they're banking on him wanting to take another gig somewhere and work, and work it out with him. But it's not a guarantee because on the last set of layoffs that we were referring to in 2017, Mark May, who you've never really seen on the national level again, six years later, Mark May was doing college game day, was doing the studio shows on ABC, college football, and had risen to the highest studio chair. He and Lou Holtz were there, uh, along with Reese Davis and, and Chris Fowler and others hosting. Mark May had been given a four-year deal like right before the layoffs. It only worked one year of it, and I, I think still had three years left. And he did not take a job anywhere else and cashed huge checks and said, pay me the money. Ron Jaworski, who I know, broadcasting good friend, Ron Jaworski had multiple years left. They allowed him to work locally in Philadelphia, just nothing nationally. He could do Eagles stuff, Eagles content on local radio, and he didn't show up anywhere else on national anything until that deal was over with to make his money. So I don't know. I, I don't know what Keyshawn's going to end up doing. I would assume Jeff Van Gundy's deal is tied to the same thing. 
If he were to suddenly get an offer or an opportunity from Turner, it would offset his money. You had an interesting rumor for me that he might end up going back into coaching. Tie it back into your area real quick on Van Gundy. We mentioned Mark Stein earlier. I, I follow Mark Stein religiously about Maverick stuff, and I believe this came from him, that there was chatter that he may uh, be looking at like an assistant coaching job with someone like the Mavericks, you know, kind of give Jake Kidd a little bit of help over on the bench. And like I said, I think that's where I saw it. I see so much stuff on social media, and lately we've – you know, even though there's a limit on the tweets we can read at the moment, you know, there, there's um, a lot of stuff I've seen about that. And, you know, he was a good coach. He coached the Rockets, obviously coached the Knicks. You know, he had success. It wasn't like we're talking about a guy who flamed out. And, I mean, I think it'd be kind of cool to see him go into TNT and with Stan Van Gundy and him together, you know. And remember, uh, Mark Jackson left the trio and went into coaching with Golden State and was only briefly there a couple of seasons and then has since come back. There's rumors that he might try to coach again somewhere in a situation. I don't know, but ESPN's got to remake that. I was thinking of a couple of other things that we're going to move on as part of the last word on Sports Media Podcast. Here's another example of layoffs, and I went through this, Jay. Um, I was part of the merger with Sirius and XM, Satellite Radio. When Satellite Radio was such a huge thing in the 2000s and the 2010s, and I think you, you and I met each other in and around that time where I've been doing that, and then I started working for Fox Sports Radio, et cetera. So I will I will say it here on, on the podcast. I had been working full-time for XM Satellite Radio and then post-merger full-time for a couple of years, and I, along with a group of people in early 2010, got fired. We didn't get laid off. They got rid of me. They fired me, and I got a severance deal. However, I did not get it as bad as the music division of ESPN. I mean, I'm sorry, the music division of XM, if I get my initials correct. XM Satellite Radio. So the merger happens in 2008. You want to talk about layoffs. This is what happened. This is the truth. I'm spewing facts here, Famous Jay, for the audience too. And it, it, it does, it just tinges on media, not sports media, but I'll tell the story quickly. So you talk about layoffs. Listen to this. So XM had built their empire in large part to commercial free music. Genres like the 80s, which I'm big on, 70s, 60s channel, 70s channel, Bruce Springsteen channel, U2 channel, country music stars, Garth Brooks channel, on and on, Bob Dylan channel, had all of this music and commercial free uh, for your subscription. They had built really a music empire with what they were doing in the late 2000s. So the merger happens. And I still remember the XM building, which is no longer really, a, it, it, it basically is a ghost town completely now. Sirius uh, Satellite Radio was based in New York. XM was based in Washington, D.C. But the music division, Sirius didn't have near the music people and the music division that XM had. They had some. But they also went into the mode of, all right, how do we save money? How do we de-emphasize? So uh, those employees totaled like over 150. They took up two floors of that building for XM. They had studios. They had office cubicles. They had everything uh, in that in that third floor, in that fourth floor of that building. And I had been in that building numerous times. I had worked remotely from the Tampa Bay area, but I'd been in that building probably 15 times and been up on, on those music floors, and it was just vast. It was amazing how much they had with radio studios, personnel, on-air people. So here's the point I'm coming to. So the merger happens, and Sirius decides with their people in charge, we're going to lay off the whole XM music division. Doesn't matter who you are. And, Jay, I see you nodding. It doesn't matter what you make. It doesn't matter what your role is. 
uh, and it's it's comical, it's sad, it's despicable, all rolled into one how they found out. There, there was a new computerized system that Sirius had put into place, and that computerized system is what you use to take vacation time, or if you were sick and you were going to be out for a while, or if you were having surgery, you were going to be out for a while. If you were taking a leave, you had to use the system and tell the system, these are the days that I'm gone, to keep track of it, because again, they had so many employees, 150, 200 employees. So what's sickening and comically happened is these people learned that they were being mass fired, basically, because a couple of employees using the system went to get their days off and were told you're no longer an employee as of, I, st- I think I still remember the date. It was like August the 1st of 2009. You're no longer an employee. The system is telling them that. So they go to their immediate boss and say, what is this? And the immediate boss goes, I don't know. Let me see if I can find out. And calls a serious person from the merger. And the serious purser, person on the other end goes, uh, um, uh, I got to call you back. Not good. <laughs> Not good. So the person calls back and says, um, I need you to round up everybody. You got to round up everybody, either in person or on the phone, by this afternoon Uh uh-oh really not good and so now they get told later that day your last day is on september 1st it was like a couple weeks later that's going to be your last day you can choose to still work we'd like for you to still work we'll work out severance deals with you but they had to tell them that day later that day they had to tell them and that was a complete layoff back to my example of they wiped out the entire third and fourth floor to wit. I went back there in 2010 and a couple different, and it's just a ghost town, a morgue to walk around those floors and see what all used to be there. And all those people got fired at the same time in a mass firing because they laid off the entire XM music department, the entire division, no matter what your role was, that's a layoff. So anyway, I tell that story. I've been through these. Before local radio, we we all got mass fired on local radio during a merger in 1999. I still remember that. I came out on the other side and got another radio job. They fired like 100 employees of four stations in one day with this. So this stuff has gone on much more in radio. You mentioned iHeartRadio as well. They they have done – iHeart is so pared down nationally out of their hundreds of stations they own to so few employees. They've done this purge thing like four or five times over the last 10 to 15 years of purging dozens and dozens and dozens of employees all over the country in different roles. So welcome hey, to the business. Can I do welcome one quick sidebar? Yeah, go ahead. You mentioned the do satellite it. radio. The sidebar. So yeah. I got serious specifically to listen to Howard Stern, like mm-hmm. probably many, many people did, which probably bought on that merger that you mentioned. And, you know, Howard 100, Howard 101. And by virtue of having it, you know, driving from Fort Worth to Dallas to go to work all the time, I discovered the Covino and Rich show on Maxim Radio, which was Sirius 108. And I still listen to them religiously. They've been, they went to ESPN, had a TV show. Now they are on your beloved Fox Sports Fox Radio. Sports Radio. They're That's on right. the afternoon. Mm-hmm. It, I think they're on two to four LA time because I listen to the podcast version because the local Fox Sports Radio affiliate in DFW is the ticket. And the ticket while they're on has the hard line, which is the, you know, one of the most listened to shows in all of Texas. And probably, if not all of America, the way the ticket gets ratings. But uh, funny story. So, like I said, I listen to their podcast version, and they do a thing where they call it the bribery ball. 
where if you go on to their podcast, give them a five-star review and leave a comment, you know, or a review about the show, they'll pick a few of them and read them on air. And if they read them on air, they'll send you email and they'll send you a football with their logo on it and their autographs and the Fox Sports Radio logo and everything. And I love that show. So I did it and I actually got my bribery ball in the mail a couple of days ago. And it was so funny because I'm just a guy just listening. And I just said, basically, what I just told you, it's like a fine wine. You know, I've been listening since the Maxim radio days and my space was their big deal. And so essentially wow. I got put in their top eight, if you will. But anyways, that, that's my serious story. And yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to think how all this stuff is intertwined. Yeah, it, it, uh, and again, in, in big-time broadcasting, these uh, firings, non-contract renewals, and again, there's a difference between we're not renewing your contract and you have time left on your contract and you're out. So we, I know we've been, we've been talking a lot about this. It's just shocking that ESPN would go, David Pollock had time left on his deal, and they're about to go so heavy with the SEC, it's shocking. And hopefully he lands with somebody, CBS, maybe he does local out of Atlanta for a while, Maybe Fox, whomever, uh, it brings him on to do SEC stuff because uh, he deserves it. So we spent a lot of time on that. All right, so let's move on to a couple of other subjects before we're done on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. I had numerous people, including my friend, the famous Jay, reach out to me and say, you got to read this Sally Jenkins article on Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. The article was out last week. So uh, the gist of it is WashingtonPost.com. WashingtonPost.com. The gist of it is, and you can go read the article, the rivalry and what it has been for 50 years, basically. And now their friendship, their love for each other, their cancer battles together. It's an amazing story. So thank you for promoting it as well to me and saying, go read it. I have gone and read it and I don't want to, I don't, I I don't want to reveal the whole article, but what do you want to say about what you read? Maybe something you you didn't know, didn't fully understand. Give me two or three things, Jay Betzel, about what she wrote about that rivalry, because you're big into tennis. I'm not as big anymore, but I was huge into the tennis and the action and the major championships, 80s, 90s. And, and this rivalry uh, was epic late 70s into the 80s with Martina and Chris. So, so give me some thoughts. The article was awesome. It's definitely going to be one of the award-winning best articles of the year sally jenkins from fort worth i might mention just like me daughter of dan jenkins who wrote my favorite book dead solid perfect wrote for sports illustrated you know tcu i mean obviously a really well-known golf writer but just one of the greatest writers ever iconic 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 writer dan jenkins and sally jenkins has become an iconic writer in washington dc washington post and author for the last 25 years after Dan Jenkins's career sunsetted and he passed away, she's continued the legacy. Correct. Yeah, in in her own. And I was going to say the TCU press box at Amon Carter Stadium is the Dan Jenkins press box. Wow. Like people, they they love him around here. And like, and long story short, back when I was in high school, I worked the the golf tournament, PGA Tour tournament here in Fort Worth, the Colonial, which is now called the Charles Schwab Challenge. I worked in the media center when I was in high school because, like I said, I was watching Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. I knew this is what I wanted to do, so I'm like. What better thing to do than to network with these people, right? And um, the year that Annika Sorenstam was here, I, I came back and worked in the media center, and we had like 600 credentials that year. So it was 2003, and people from all over. You had the Washington Post, USA Today, Vogue, GQ, you know, you name it. Everybody was there for this huge deal. And I got to meet Sally Jenkins. She was there, and she was there a couple different times. But, you know, by, like I said, once again, by no means do I want to say I know her, 
but I got to meet her and she was really cool. I got to meet Dan Jenkins working in the media room at the Colonial. Once again, I was actually afraid of him because I, I knew how famous he was and how powerful he was. And but I got to meet him. And um, so reading this article, um, I after high school, I moved up and into Aspen. I lived in Aspen, worked at the Maroon Creek Club, Aspen, Colorado. And I worked in the tennis area. Randy Crawford was my boss. Greatest guy you could ever meet. He had coached Martina Navratilova when she was playing. So there, the roundabout way I'm getting to it, Martina would come out there and play where I was working. And so I got to see her, talk to her. She could not have been any nicer. Chris Everett came out there and played, um, you know, and came by. And the way the, the Maroon Creek Club is set up is we're right off Highway 82 across the highway from the Aspen Airport. And a couple of holes are on one side. All the rest of them are on the mountainside. But the tennis is kind of back in the back of the club by itself. So it's like, imagine like a really big L. We're on the far side of the entrance. So I wouldn't see every single celebrity that came there, but I would see the tennis people. So I got, like I said, once again, by no means do I claim to know them, but I did get to meet them and they could not have been any nicer. And uh, Chris Everett's sister, Claire, actually taught there also, taught tennis. So my my experience with them is they were just really good people. And then read Refresh that article. Refresh me was, again. This is like 96, 97. Seven. So this is roughly, seven. this yes. is, Everett has been um, retired as a player for at least a decade or more. Martina had been retired maybe seven or eight years, something like that. And it's interesting from what Sally Jenkins wrote. They were living minutes away from each other in Aspen, where you were. They also had homes not far from each other in South Florida, Southeast Florida. I'm in West Central Florida together, and that ties back into the story. But again, back to your Aspen uh, part of this, they would spend a lot of time there. Martina was a big snow skier. And then I believe when she eventually introduced uh, Chris Everett to her husband at that time, Andy Mill, that uh, Chris began to snow ski and, and do other things because of Colorado. Yeah, Andy Mills like a legendary skier. So so it's it's fascinating that you were there when all of that was going on late 90s. Continue, please. I didn't mean well, to Well, before that, you. when I was in elementary school, um Martina Evertolova lived in Fort Worth and she like her coach was the guy Mike Step. Um he and he actually at one point there's a couple country clubs here in Fort Worth. He was the head tennis pro at Ridgely Country Club, which was like 5 minutes from my house. And so anyway, so I've seen her practicing um, like one of the biggest streets here in Fort Worth, Hewland, the far end of Hewland, there's like a church that had clay courts. So when I was in elementary school, uh, my school was pretty close to there. So we'd go watch her practice before they had the French Open on these clay courts down in Hewland, just out there hitting with her coach. And wow. yeah, the back to the article, which is what you brought this up for, it's really cool. Just, I mean, the way that they met, you know, the ups and downs of their friendship and how, you know, a lot of times when people have, issues it actually makes them closer and just you know they've they've had a lot of stuff going between them and you know not the least of which is they were number one or two in the world you know and that'd be like i mean remember we we're, we know each other through golf that'd be like if tiger was buddies with all these guys when he was beating them up you know and we remember correctly he he was he gets along with everybody now and all the young guys that look up to him but back right. then he would stomp on these guys well and and what her article so well details um, in so many different forms and fashions is they were intertwined from the very beginning in the seventies as teenagers, as being in the same locker room. And a lot of times they're playing in the finals of a tournament where they're the only two left in the locker room and you're waiting to play your match. And then the match is over and you would come back into the locker room and one is excited and one is crying. 
And for the longest time, Martina couldn't beat Chris Everett in the 70s. And then eventually it reversed. And we bring it back to my man, the famous Jay, Jay Betzel with me on the last word on sports media uh, podcast here, that Nancy Lieberman, the star basketball player uh, in college and later in the WNBA with the coaching, but uh, she's very famous uh, for being a trailblazer of women's basketball broadcaster. Nancy Lieberman was also big into the fitness and helped Martina get into fantastic shape physically fit and adjusted Martina's mentality into you can't be friendly anymore with Chris Everett if you want to beat her. And it almost became an adversary, just what you were saying about Tiger. They got to be the enemy. You can't be her friend anymore. And the article, I, I won't reveal much more about the article, but the article has a very interesting telling part where that part of their friendship went completely on ice and Martina began to beat Chris uh, regularly, consistently, had beaten her at one point like 14 straight times, and Nancy Lieberman was a big part of that mentality, physically, mentally, of you can't be friends. Well, now we fast forward back around, and cancer has brought them together, and Sally Jenkins just does a fantastic job of weaving in their cancer treatments, going through it at the same time, both of them scared to die, both of them reassuring each other. I mean, it's a, Jay, we can't oversell it. It's an amazing and calling each program. other at the magic moment when they need it. That's to, to me, it's sure. that that's like, you know, that's kind of like uh, you, one of your best friends, you know, it's like, you just kind of know that person needs you to call them or whatever. And that's how it was. And, and I thought Sally, it was interesting. I, I got tipped off to this by another buddy. Go listen to Sally Jenkins on Tony Kornheiser's podcast, talking about how the article came together. So Mr. Tony, as he's known, uh, this show stinks podcast, I think is what it's called. He had Sally Jenkins on from their long relationship working together at the Washington Post, both both uh, Hall of Fame writers, award-winning writers out of that. So he got Sally on, and Sally said, when I originally set out to do this, and you might have already known this. Did you tell me this as well? I can't remember. She set out to write like a 1,000 words about the rivalry and the cancer diagnosis. So she got Chris Everett on the phone. And she thought she'd do like 15 minutes, and she literally did 90 minutes on a phone call with Chris about this. Well, then she wanted to go back to Martina and talk to her, and it was like literally two hours with Martina. And so now Sally, as she explained it to Tony Kornheiser on the podcast, goes to her editor and says, I'm going to need all kinds of space for this. This is this is a holy grail of story and a feature. And Sally then explained it. So Tony asked her because reporters know this. Tony said, okay, so now you have everything. You have all your interviews. You have all of your stuff. What was that part like? And she goes, I, I was in tears. She said, I'm not going to lie to you. I was in tears about how do I bring this together? She goes, my editor called me and said, how is it going? Because it took her several weeks to write that, what we wrote. And she responded, the biblical reference, I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now. She was having that hard of a time pulling it all together the way that she wanted with writing it. So I thought from a sports media standpoint, Jay, what do you think about that with Sally Jenkins talking about how torn she was to write this story and to do it well and to do it the right way and bring honor to these two women? What do you think of that? All I can really say is that she's the best at what she does, and I'm I'm glad she's the one that did this. It wasn't in somebody's hands like mine who would have messed it up. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad she's the one that did it. And I spent like 30 minutes reading it because I turned the TV off. I wanted full attention, and I'm like tearing up reading it. And I'm like, oh. like I said, these are not people that I know, but they're people I've met, so it makes them a little more real to me maybe than just someone like a character you see on TV. 
And the fact that part of the story mentions that not only the Aspen part where I once lived, but that this past year they were here in Fort Worth for the WTA finals, walking through the stockyards, which is 15 minutes from where I live, when they got more bad news. And once again, it just that makes it all more real to me that you know someone who was born in Fort Worth is writing this story and all this just happening here. And it's just, I mean, like I said, I, I think that if once you've read this, it's not really a sports story. It's a human interest story. And it's just, it's a really cool deal. No doubt. Well said. And again, Sally Jenkins relayed that she has been with Martina on multiple occasions this year when Martina has been going through chemotherapy and radiation treatment. And uh, it has really hit home for Sally because her life partner, her wife, is going through lung cancer at the moment. And Martina and Chris are are uh, are intertwined with her and empathizing with what she's going through. And she revealed something else. So the photo that's there is an amazing photo. And I don't have the photographer's name off the top of my head, but the photo is going to probably win awards of the two of them. And I'll reveal this about how the photo kind of came together. They wanted to take the photo. They wanted to have a video with them to publicize the article. So they're in Martina's home in Florida, and this has been probably a month or two ago, where they're trying to take the photo before the article comes out. Maybe it's a month ago before the article comes out. And the photographer's got good light in the home. Here we bring it back to the media. But he wants his backdrop, and they got to try to find a way to have the backdrop. So as Sally Jenkins revealed this, Jay Betzel, she is standing on one chair and the video person from the Washington Post, the female that did all the video work that you'll see on their site, is standing on the other chair and they are holding the backdrop for several minutes while the photographer got the shots that he got it. And he then suggested to them, can you close your eyes? Let's try a few with your eyes closed. They had their eyes open. And that is the heartwarming shot of the two of them with their heads kind of nestled together with their eyes closed. These were the bitterest of rivals, people. I know for the millennials, the Gen Zers, Jay and I are becoming old farts, I guess. You don't understand that this was women's tennis on steroids in the championships of how important it was, the magnitude of it, Wimbledon that's going on right now, the U.S. Open, the French Open, the Australian Open. They were hated rivals for beating each other, but they weren't as hated as, as maybe we thought. Um, and now they they are intertwined post-career and intertwined awfully because of cancer. And it's well worth it. And what a great sports story. Sally Sally deserves to win awards for what she wrote. So I know she's not doing it for that. She's doing that to tell the story. Uh, but tremendous. We can't oversell Hopefully enough. Hopefully she Go does, read the because article. then even more people will discover it. Go read the article, people. Go read and, and watch and see what these women are going through because they're still going through cancer treatment, both of them. Um, uh, the magnitude. Chris Chris Everett was probably, as, as she describes in the article, walking around with something that could have killed her had she not gotten tipped off you know you need to go get tested for ovarian cancer to make sure that you don't have it and it hasn't spread she and this is not hyperbole or sensationalism she admits if she had walked around with this unknowingly for several more months it would have spread and it would have probably been fatal for her so uh, it's an amazing story. Go read it. Go read it from the Washington Post, from Sally Jenkins and off of social media and go hear off of Tony Kornheiser's podcast. She also said something else. She goes, it's far too long for me to put all of it in there. And a lot of it hit the cutting room floor. And she said a lot of great stuff hit the cutting room floor. That's not in the article, by the way. Here we go again to having editors, Jay. 
And unlike long form podcasts like we're doing right now, you got to have somebody <laughs> restrict it. And she said, I'm going to repeat something that my dad, the great Dan Jenkins that you're talking about, the legendary writer, they named the press box after him at, at TCU's Eamon Carter Stadium and uh, many, many awards. He said, you know, it's good, if not great, by the stuff that's on the cutting room floor that you think is good or great. That's how you know when they couldn't put that stuff in. And so she shared that as well about Martina and Chris, who each won 18 majors, by the way. And I know Serena Williams in the present uh, is the greatest of this era and deserves to be considered one of the two, three, four greatest tennis players ever. Steffi Graf belongs in that conversation uh, as well. You can even talk Billie Jean King kind of in the in the pantheon. I'm speaking your language right now. But this rivalry of Martina and Chris, Serena Williams doesn't have anybody like Chris Everett or like Martina Navratilova or even Steffi Graf that she went head to head with. That's a Hall of Famer that won 16, 18 majors by themselves along with you. This rivalry is amazing. Finish up on that, please. Say whatever you want to say. Serena, about had, Serena had Venus, you know, and Maria Sharapova. She had a few here and there, but this nothing like the entire time. It was not like. You, you know, from the men's tennis, I grew up watching Sampras and Agassi. And Agassi kind of robbed us of a few years of that because when he got married and disappeared and ended up that being down three, 400 in the world, you know, the reason that theirs was such a great rivalry was that Sampras was a serving volleyer and Agassi's biggest strength was his return to serve. So they were so fun to watch each other. And that's kind of what I would say about watching Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova play was that their games – you know, they, they were great rivals because you have Martina with that big lefty serve that was slicing in. You had Chris Everett could get to all these, you know, passing shots and stuff. I mean, it was just, it was just like poetry in motion watching them play, as was this article. Great stuff. And again, 36 major championships between the two of them. They played 60 times in the finals of either a Grand Slam or a tour event. 60, 6 0, those two against each other for the championship. So quite the rivalry on that. All right, let's wrap it up with golf, and then we're going to get out of here. Um, it, you and I both were rooting. Uh, we were in communication. Ricky Fowler brings it home with the win in Detroit at what's known as the Rocket Mortgage Classic uh, in Detroit on the PGA Tour. After Fowler's near miss at the U.S. Open, where he led basically the whole way until the final Sunday in the back nine and didn't win. So a great win for him. I want to talk a little bit about the sports media part of it, though, because you got to spend time with Ricky Fowler back in May, in and around him building up to maybe winning the U.S. Open and then eventually winning this event. Immensely popular player. I mean, even in Detroit, they were chanting everywhere, Ricky, Ricky. You got to spend some time and cover him and write about him in May. Say something about that real quick. Well, so, you know, he he comes here and plays in the Colonial pretty often. Like He, he may not be here every single year, but he's usually one of the bigger names in the, the his picture is up in through Fort Worth to get people to come out to the tournament stuff. And this year he was, of course, one of the bigger names, one of the marquee names, because it's not one of the quote-unquote elevated events with the bigger purses. So all the big names didn't – they weren't legally bound to have to go, right? But he was one of the guys who was there. And I'll take this back even to 2014, nine years ago. Adam Scott was number one in the world, right? He comes to play the Colonial because he ascended to be number one. And if he did not play that week, Henrik Stinson was going to pass him and be number one. He's playing the European Tour. So, Adam Scott commits, like, the last Friday. If you have Friday, like, 4 o'clock, he commits that Friday afternoon just because he wants to play. So, we have the world number one in Fort Worth for the first time in a long time because it wasn't Tiger, and Tiger never came here. 
He came here one year, 1997. But um, Ricky Fowler is, to the point, is playing in the group in front of Adam Scott, who's a big star and number one in the world. And Ricky Fowler that year, his gallery was three times as big as Adam Scott's was. And they sold out of the orange Puma hats in the shop on Thursday. So, I mean, he's like, he moves the needle. You know, we talk about that a lot with Tiger and Phil, the guys that move the needle. He yes. moves the needle. So this year, was he's it, here. Before you go your, to your story for this year, wasn't that 2014 year the year that he finished runner-up in all four majors? I believe that was the year. I think, I think so. he finished we'll to... top five in all He was four. at least runner-up a couple of times, yeah. if not three times. Yeah. That 2014 year. I think year, it he... was. I think, yeah, because uh, Rory won the British Open, and he was in, like tied for second in that one. It was that year, correct. And he lost to Martin Keimer in the U.S. Open. Immensely popular player who's never won a yeah. major championship. He's won a players championship, the unofficial fifth major, the PGA Tour event. So you bring it, you bring it forward that he's having a resurgence because Ricky had dropped out of sight on winning tournaments, hadn't won a tournament in five years. Bring it to your story in Fort Worth real quick. Yeah, I think roughly he was like 184th in the world, like at this time a year ago. Like he'd just been down the dumps. He went back to Butch Harmon. He changed caddies. He's been playing really well. He's come really close to winning a couple of different times. And um, he made the cut, like, basically on the number in Fort Worth, you know, back in May, about a month and a half ago from we're doing this. And so he plays early on, on Saturday morning, okay? And the Colonial Golf Course, Colonial Country Club course, the Hogan's Alley, is going undergoing a renovation starting the day after the tournament. So they let it go. You know, they they basically made it major championship conditions. Those greens were hard. You know, they were crispy. And in Ricky's words, they were dicey. And I basically was kind of – I was going to talk to some of the guys that came off about the condition of the course because that's the story I was going to do. It was about them kind of, you know, the way the course was playing with the upcoming renovation. And he comes off – he had bogeyed 17, so I was already debating on if I even wanted to – talk to him because I know those guys, especially if they're playing early, they don't really, they're not obligated to do this. And the PGA tour media people, the great John Bush, I asked him if he, if I could do it. And he said, yeah. And so he, he grabbed him when he came out and I heard him when he said, you know, Jay wants to talk to you. And he's like, what do you want to talk to me for? You know, I was like, Oh gosh, here we go. But you know, as, as he is, you know, he's essentially like, I've kind of jokingly said to all my buddies, he's like the Arnold Palmer of this generation because there's nobody that doesn't like him. Right. He's just, everybody likes him. Every time you see these guys winning these majors, he's always there to congratulate him and stuff like that. He's just a great dude. So anyway, so I just said, you know, I asked him what makes this place so special um, that you work it into your schedule amongst the PGA Championship and all these elevated events. And he mentioned that his place has a lot of history and um, it's kind of position golf. And he said between here and Detroit, and that would be a similar one. It's an O'Donnell Ross place, right? O'Donnell Ross course, the one in Detroit. So he kind of compared the two tournaments. You know, and then I mentioned, you know, since you've got uh, you've had a lot of success in majors, granted, one well, he's played in a bunch of them and he's done well in a bunch of them. As like, how would you compare this um, year round today as far as the major conditions? And his, the first thing he said, and, and this guy was in my mind was his hint of this is I'm, I'm good with this. Right. He said the benefit of not shooting very low the first two days, you get to play in the morning and the greens are a little more receptive. <laughs> so and, anyways, um but he he continued on. He basically said, you know, it's a great test. Like I said, it's not short. It's not too and he long. Ga- he gave you more than just the cursory five to seven minutes. He gave you oh, a long yeah, amount absolutely. of time. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we we had I had him for a few minutes, and like I said, I was trying not to bother him because he obviously you know well, he'd already played early, and but he was super cool. 
and I, I completely take credit for him going on to do so well at the U.S. Open and going on to win Detroit just because I interviewed him. So it was that it was all it was all my mojo. And, and and again, he has grounded with being married, had his daughter there in his arms. Very popular, prominent player. By the way, 2014, fifth at the Masters, second at the U.S. Open, tied for second at the British Open, third at the PGA Championship. That's not winning a major, but that is an impressive year to be that good in four different locales under those conditions to be that close to winning uh, at the same time. And, and he really found himself, and maybe he's going to contend at the British Open coming up, but good on Ricky. And they sold a lot of orange Puma stuff, I'm sure, after the U.S. Open and after that win uh, in Detroit for him this past week. Can I? I'm not going to do the full love it or leave it here, but can I just say the one thing just real quick from a sports media standpoint, we are now in a day and age, can I get an amen, Jay Betzel, where we don't need to have tape delay golf from the Golf Channel to CBS in a window from 1 Eastern time, noon Central time, until 6 Eastern, 5 Central, adjust your time zone accordingly, where they're tape delaying the entire golf. When social media exists, the internet exists, and everybody knows what, what's going on and what happened, that Rocket Mortgage Classic was dramatic. It went to a playoff. Ricky Fowler won it in the playoff, and it was all over with at like 1.15 Central Time, your time, 2.15 Eastern Time, long before CBS ever came on the air. We are not in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s anymore with TV coverage, with we're going to put a tape on and think nobody knows what's going on. Everybody instantaneously knew millions were watching online or on their phone what is this charade that you can't just go ahead and go live on the golf channel and go live while it's going on? And if you need to play a tape later on on CBS, we understand that. It's crazy, Jay Betts. I'll sound off real quick on that about this past Sunday and Ricky Fowler winning. Well, you know what? We, we you and I text about this stuff every time this happens. There was one, it was Bay Hill, I want to say like 2001, two, somewhere around there. You know, Tiger won it almost every year for a while. And he drained a long putt to beat Phil Mickelson that year. And I was. I remember I was out to eat at a sports bar, and they had it on that afternoon, and everybody's going crazy cheering. But I had seen on PJTour.com like four hours earlier that he had already won. That's why I was so confused that no one knew. But you know, now you have this. You have the ability to watch it if you want, at least. So it's better than that. So we've come a little ways. But right. Justin Thomas, the great Justin Thomas, two-time major champion Justin Thomas, uh, on Twitter at Justin Thomas thirty four. He had this quote at 1.39 p.m. on July the 2nd. 1.8 million people, 1.8 million views on this. I can't get over. I actually had to watch the end of that golf streamed on my phone, but damn it, I'm sure glad I did. So pumped for at Ricky Fowler right now. LFG, let's F and go, brother. So he, he kind of feels the way all of us did, other than, right. other than him and Ricky are actually buddies. But, yeah, I'm with you. I wish that that – that would work. I mean, we have the golf channel. We have, you know, I watched it on CBSSports.com on my phone because it was Ricky Fowler. You know, had he been out of it, say that well, playoff was Colin Morikawa, who I really like to watch, and Adam Hadwin, I'd have been okay with, you know, well, I'll just follow it on PJTour.com. Well, and we can relate it to Tiger winning the Masters this latest time and what looks like it may be his final time to ever win a major because they they accelerated the final round of the Masters to earlier in the day because of pending thunderstorms, and that was Augusta National also dictating to CBS, you're going to show this live. We'll let you show it live, but you're going to show this live on CBS. And then they actually ran the tape later on at like 3 Eastern, 2 Central, and showed it again in a packaged form with everybody already knowing Tiger had won, and that still got a decent rating. 
You can do the same thing. This is 2023. If you're on a PGA Tour event, you can go live. The Golf Channel can show it live. Go live and and then show your tape if you need to show a tape. Show a tape and run the ads later on. Who are you fooling at this point that we don't know the results? All of us do. All of us have it instantaneously, like you said, in our phone to be able to watch it on our phone or watch it on a laptop or watch it wherever streaming. Who are you fooling? So not to mention time. we pay for ESPN plus and when they move it up like that, there's no main you, feed. So basically we're getting featured groups of guys that are not in contention. Right. So, you know, you know, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I wish it was, it was that way. And I was kind of scratching my head, but I was thankful that CBS sports.com at least had it on. So, Yes, and we've got the British Open or the Open Championship coming, uh, and the Live Golfers will be back. And the Live Golf, by the way, was on earlier in the day. I know you're not big into that, but I'm still with this whole thing on what's going to happen. I still think the Live's going to hang around, and they had a they had a playoff looming until Taylor Gooch uh, rolled in a, a winning putt on 18 for his third win on the Live Tour. It looked like he and Bryson DeChambeau were headed to sudden death. Uh, on that one. And then Ricky Fowler did win in sudden death. So some great golf on the weekend. And we've got the open championship coming up, which will be displaced. It'll be in the morning uh, U.S. time for a lot of it. Although they've begun to push that later and later because of U.S. TV and NBC spending a lot of money uh, to show it uh, as well. So um, we'll see what happens with the golf. With that, my my friend, we've covered a bunch from the ESPN story with all the firings and the, the non-renewals. Uh, to the Sally Jenkins uh, tremendous article again from the Washington Post on Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova, some golf. Anything else in closing, Famous Jay, before we wrap it up off this July 4th long weekend? I just want to casually mention that Sergio Garcia did not qualify for the British Open. I believe it's the first time since 1997, 98, somewhere around there. How about that? He's not He's not qualified. He tried to qualify in the right, Open qualifier, sixth. and he finished sixth early in this week, so he won't be part of it. Uh, and there's some there's some other um, live golfers that tried and didn't get in, and there's some others. And again, the, these things you fall out of them. Ricky Fowler was not exempt for the U.S. Open and for the Masters last year, and wasn't exempt again this year for the Masters this year. He'll now play in the Masters next year because he just won a PGA Tour event. You fall out of it, and you have to go try to qualify and and try to find a way uh, to get in. So. Different in golf, that is for sure. So we got the summertime. Jay's got his Texas Rangers. I got my Tampa Bay Rays with baseball. We got football before we know it with your Cowboys, with your TCU Horn Frogs trying to follow up, being in the college football playoff championship game last year. Uh, we've got all that still looming. But for right now, hey, try to stay cool. My last question for you. Yeah. Last question. So you mentioned TCU. So TCU's opening game is a noon game. They're hosting Colorado with Deion Sanders, the coach. Um, they're – their AD is one of my buddies. TCU's AD is one of my buddies. He said that Fox will be there with their pregame show. Correct. Will David Pollock be there with Fox when they come to Florida? That's a great question. Will Will they gobble him up? Because that's next month. It's in, not very in, far away. In particular because of the SEC slant to balance it out. Because, again, on the Fox pregame show, help me here, they've got Matt Leonard and Reggie Bush, so you got the USC thing Brady covered. Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn's Brady really Quinn, good. Notre Dame. Urban they've had Meyer. Urban Meyer, Ohio State. You need some SEC slant. I, they've been using Clay Travis – but you need I could some... be wrong, TJ. I could be wrong, but I want to say I saw somewhere that Reggie Bush may not be coming back. So maybe not. So there may be an opening. Could be. We'll see if Pollock lands there. And again, great story back at the uh, beginning of the podcast about dealing with him as well. Famous Jay, I love it. Follow him at the Famous Jay on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Jay Betzel, I always appreciate you hanging with me whenever we get a chance to do it. 
We again set out to do like a 45 minute podcast. It ends up being like an hour and five minutes. We're incapable. At least we did this where others can hear it because we do this off the air off the time all the time. And I drive my we wife. We do know that the XM building is a ghost town. It's incredible. The music part of it. It's incredible from that story. Uh, these are the kind of things we try to bring to you. And again, I, I'm not cheerleading for anybody to lose their job. I've been through it and there's many others in broadcasting that have been through it. And it was ugly for ESPN. And let's hope that a lot of these people land somewhere. And why do I get the feeling that a lot of them will? Uh, in the coming days and uh, coming weeks and later this fall and whatever it is. We'll see. Some of them may well, sit don't out. Don't forget, like paid. I said, don't forget to listen to Mark Stein's new show on 97.1 The Freak. All right. So that is, and that is iHeart, right? In that market, you can find it through the iHeart app. Correct. I and and I, I might get it wrong, but it's called like the Saturday Sports Spectacular. So, <laughs> something like that. I, I saved it and I'm going to listen to it. I, I love listening right, to Mark Stein. Wimbledon tennis. Wimbledon tennis going on right now. Uh, and we'll see what happens with that and the golf and the baseball and we'll be at football soon enough. Famous Jay, thank you. Thank you. And uh, we thank you for listening. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Keep it locked in here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed for all the great coverage, not just this one that's out midweek, but George Hoffman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know out early in the weeks. And then Mike and Phil with the Announcer Schedules podcast. For now, we're good on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.